0: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Chapel South Pittsburgh. Uh, My name is, for those of you that don't know, I am my name is Brad Ebert. I have had the pleasure to serve here at Calvary Chapel for since two thousand thirteen. So last week I got really excited to to share the word with you, and I didn't even like introduce anything or say what book we were in. But uh, last week we we covered Micah one and two, and um, like I said last week, Micah's book is broken down into three messages. And the first one we, we heard last week was about the coming judgment. And it was, it was a lot of destruction and death and, and a lot of suffering for the people. But if you remember, when we ended the message, it ended in hope. And that's what we need to remember in our life is that there's always hope. Um, the next message goes more into the future. And the, the second message of Micah is about the, 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 the deliverers coming, excuse me. That's what the second message is about. And we all know who the deliverer is, but they don't know who he is yet. So as we get into it, it you know, it'll, it'll outline the events that would usher in the promised kingdom. But first, we're going to hear a rebuke to the leaders. So we'll just pick up here in verse 1 of chapter 3. Um, and I said, hear now, O heads of Jacob, and the, you rulers of the house of Israel, is it not for you to know justice? So we're going to pray real quick before I say anything else. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to, to share and thank you for this opportunity for us to get together and learn about Micah. Lord, we're thankful for this time and bless it and, and use this time to show people how we can apply it to our lives. In Jesus Christ's name we pray, amen. So the first thing I want you to notice there is God, or Micah uses the word here. And you know, this, this, this piqued my interest a little bit because there's a difference between hearing and actually listening to somebody. When you hear somebody, yeah, you audibly hear their voice. But when you listen, you hear that voice and you comprehend it. And there's, a, there's an action to that. So whenever I, I actually listen to Cindy, I do the things she asked me to do instead of just hearing her and then going on with whatever I want to do, right? But he says, hear now, O heads of Jacob. He's talking to the leaders of Israel, and we need to listen to God when He is speaking. This is—it's an, an important thing when God says, "Hear or listen." In Hebrews twelve twenty-five, it says, "See that you do not refuse Him who speaks; Him being God. For if they do not escape who refused that Him, who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from Him, God who speaks from heaven." It's a dangerous thing. It's a dangerous proposition to turn a deaf ear to God when He speaks to you. Personally, I've never heard the audible voice of God, but many things in my life have shown me Him and He's pointed me in directions. And if, you know, Spurgeon always said it if you want to hear God speak, read your Bible. If you really want to hear Him speak, read it out loud. We will, he'll direct you in his, in, his, in his word. He'll show you what he wants you to do. Proverbs 7.24 tells us, now therefore listen to me, my children. Pay attention to the words that come out of my mouth. He, and you, see, you hear the word listen there. He wants you to listen. He, don't, he doesn't want you just to be a hearer of the word. He wants you to listen and be a doer of the word. Verse two says, you who hate good and love evil, who strip the skin from my people and the flesh from their bones. Uh, who also eat the flesh of my people, flay their, their skin from them, break their bones and chop them in pieces, like meat for the pot, like flesh in the cauldron. So he's, he's, he's talking to the leaders here. These leaders loved, I'm sorry, leaders are supposed to love good and hate evil. But they, they did the opposite. They were allowing the rich to exploit the poor and they were even doing it themselves. We are living through this ourselves now. We have people that love evil more than they love good. I once saw a video of, a, of the New York assembly standing up and applauding as they celebrated the fact that they passed a law that they could abort a baby all the way up to nine months. They, they cheered like, like they just won a championship and it was disgusting. Loving evil more than good. Amos, whose Micah's contemporary, wrote, Seek good and not evil, that you may live. So the Lord God of hosts will be with you as you have spoken. Proverbs 8.13 tells us the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and ignorant arrogance. And the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Instead of protecting the sheep, they attacked them, they skinned them, and they, they cut them up and made stew of them. They did the exact opposite of what they were supposed to do. It would be like a man destroying his own family. Verse 4 says, Then they will cry out to the Lord, but he will not hear them. He will even hide his face from them at that time, because they have been evil in their deeds. He won't hear them, let alone listen to them. They aren't truly repentant. God knows when a person's truly repentant. He knows whenever it's crocodile tears, when you're just trying to skate by and get through something. God help me, help me, help me. But he's not going to hear you. He is they have no relationship with their father because of their love for, for the evil, their selfishness, their greed. Verse 5, thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who make my people stray, who chant peace while they chew with their teeth, but who prepare war against him who puts nothing into their mouths. So it's basically saying there that the prophets are they're, they're chewing food that, that, that these people put in their mouths, and then they do nothing for the people that don't feed them. Verse 6 says, therefore you shall have night without vision, and you shall have darkness without divination. The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. So the seers shall be ashamed, and the diviners abashed. Indeed, they shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. So he's, he's going after the false prophets again, much like he did in chapter 2. We talked about this a little bit, but when God's left out of government, it's easy for corruption to reign. Telling the people what they wanted to hear, that was their business. They didn't want to tell them the truth. It was bad for their bottom line. They wanted to just keep living their good lives. And they wanted the people just to keep coming and giving and giving and giving to them so they could live wonderful life They could live just an easy life. They were bureaucrats posing, posing as men of God. But, but truly I am, but first 8, but truly I am full of power by the Spirit of the Lord and of justice and, and might to declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. This is Micah kind of speaking of himself. And He talks about the spirit of the Lord. Micah was the opposite of the false prophets. He boldly told them their sins. He wasn't scared. And we have the spirit in our lives just like Micah's talking about here. I want to tell you something about something that happened to me last week. You all know who Big Mike is, right? Well, I work for uh, a utility company and I work with some pretty rough customers. And they don't want to hear the gospel unless they're having a rough time in their life because they're a little more open then. But Mike called me on Friday. He said, Where are you at? I said, I'm at at a restaurant, Elizabeth. He's like, Can I come eat with you? I said, "Of, Of course you can. So Mike sat down with us and I introduced him to the two guys that were there with me and he immediately began to evangelize to them. Completely and fully spirit led, Mike showed no fear. And I sat there so proud of him and watched him evangelize the men. And they sat there and they listened. He let the spirit guide him. Acts 1.8 tells us, but you shall receive power from the Holy Spirit power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be a witness to me in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth Uh, Isaiah 60 uh, we're going to turn to Isaiah 63 real quick and uh, you know I'll let you guys get there sorry so Isaiah 63 we're going to pick up in verse 11 So Isaiah starts off with, um, then verse 11, I'm sorry. Then he remembered the days of old. Moses and his people saying, where is he who brought them up out of the sea with the shepherd of his flock? Where is he who put the Holy Spirit within them? Verse 12, who led them by the right hand of Moses with his glorious arm, dividing the water before them to make for himself an everlasting name. So, of course, he's talking about the Exodus, right? Now, God separated the sea, and, and the people just walked through. They trusted the Spirit. They followed. Verse 13: Who led them through the deep as the horse in the wilderness that might not stumble? As the beast goes down to the valley, and the Spirit of the Lord causes him to rest, so you lead your people to make yourself a glorious name. So, we have to trust the Spirit. We need to walk with the Spirit and go through those waters and trust that he's leading us in the right path. And as we walk through the waters and get to the other side, those waters will crash down and wipe all of our sins away. They will defeat all of our enemies. We will not be chased by them anymore. Verse 9, back in Micah, I'm sorry. We're going to go back to Micah in verse 9. Now hear this, you heads of the house of Jacob and rulers of the house of Israel, who adore justice and pervert all equity, who build up Zion with bloodshed and Jerusalem with iniquity, her her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine divine for money, yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord among us? No harm can come upon us. So now he's speaking of the sins of the leaders. He went after all the leaders, the rulers, the priests, the prophets. Nobody was safe from Micah's prophecy. They were committing injustice. They were disturbing the truth. But they believed God was with them, as you read at the end there. Is not the Lord among us? No harm will come upon us. We're, We're children of Abraham. We talked about this a little bit last week. It is ignorance to God's character for them to believe this. Much like believers today, Titus 1.16 tells us they profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. We all know people like that in our lives that say they're Christians, but, they're, but the way they live their lives say otherwise. See, I believe our faith and works go hand in hand. Our faith produces works, and our works produce faith not only in ourselves, but they produce faith in other people. That's what you will see a true Christian do. And I'm not saying we're perfect. We make mistakes. We, we, we step out of character. We lose our testimony. But we do whatever it takes to put up that hedge of protection against sin. We run away from sin. We avoid it. We, we get filters on our phones. We don't go to bars, we don't go to the casino and gamble. We do whatever it takes to live that righteous holy life. We have to take action. I hear the saying all the time from my coworkers, it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. I don't wanna have to ask for forgiveness at all. I just wanna live a godly life and try to do the right thing as often as I can. Verse 12, therefore, because you, Zion, shall be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become heaps of ruins, and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills in the forest. This is the verse that was mentioned in Jeremiah 26. And he's telling the leaders it's because of you, it's your fault. It's a heavy thing to be a leader. And every man that sits in this church right now that has children, you're a leader. You're responsible for your kids. You're responsible for protecting your wife. So don't think you're, you're, you're not part of that. You are. You're raising little disciples. They watch you. They watch what you do. Trust me, I hear some of the worst in me out of my kids sometimes. And I go, and it just hits your forehead like, oh, that's me. That's, 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 that's my fault, Right? But some of you may be leaders at your workplace. You may be leaders here. It's a, it's a heavy responsibility. And he lets them know right there and at first it's because of them. They led the people astray. And I don't ever want to lead anybody astray. Let's move on to Micah 4. Micah moves over from the destruction of Israel and he moves into the, the last days. And, and you know, in the last days, the uh, New Jerusalem will be built and the temple will also be re- rebuilt. The last days began with the with the ministry of Jesus Christ, and they will end with the establishment of his kingdom on earth. In this section, in this chapter, we hear four wonderful wonderful promises. The first one being a promised kingdom, the second being promised deliverance. The third being promised conquest, and the fourth is a promised king. Verses one through eight cover the promised kingdom. Verse one says, Now it shall come to pass in the later days that the mountain of the Lord, of the Lord's house, shall be established on the top of the mountains, and shall be exalted above the hills, and people shall flow to it. Many nations shall come and say, Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, and we shall walk in his paths, for out of Zion the law shall go forth, and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between many peoples and rebuke strong nations afar off. They shall beat the swords in the the plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn learn war any more." At this point of the message, the situation is hopeless. Assyria was about to take Israel and it ravaged Judah and nearly took Jerusalem. As we said last week, they took 46 cities before God stopped them at Jerusalem. In this time, Jerusalem will become the world's most important city. New York won't matter anymore. Nobody will care about L.A., It'll be Jerusalem. The worship of Jehovah will be restored and all the nations will worship God and stream to Jerusalem. Verse 4, But everyone shall sit under the vine and under the fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid, for the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. Warren be referred to Micah 4.4 as the Jewish dream. A pleasant home, a productive garden, Peaceful land. And that sounds a lot like the American dream too. That's what we all want in our lives. We want peace. We want to know we're safe. We want to be fed. We don't want war. Well, some of us don't. Verse 5, for all the people walk each in the name of his God, but we will walk in the name of the Lord our God forever and ever. They will walk with their gods and then go to the grave with them. We will walk with our God forever. Every religion, their their God is in the grave, but ours is risen. Verse 6, In that day says the Lord, I will assemble the lame. I will gather the outcasts and those whom I have afflicted. I will make the lame a remnant, and the outcast a strong nation, so the Lord will reign over them in Mount Zion, from now on, even forever. And you, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, to you shall I come. Even the former dominion shall come, the kingdom of the daughter of Jerusalem. So God will make a mighty army out of the remnant. He's going to take the outcast and the lame and make an army out of them. Do you ever feel like an outcast? That's, you're one of God's people, if you feel, not if you feel that way, but you are. I've, I've told numerous people this my whole life. I've always felt like I didn't belong. I've always felt like an outcast. When I first started coming to this church, I would come through those doors and I would look for the first empty table. Not because I didn't want to sit with people. I like people. But it's because I didn't think anybody would want to sit with me. And I'm not telling you this because I want you to go, oh, poor Brad. But that's just the way I feel. And it took me a long time to get over that. But these are the kind of people God is championing. championing. Ugh, is that even a word? Right? These are the people he's going to use. The outcast, the thrown out, the people that, that don't think they matter. When I became a member of the family of God, I finally felt like I was somebody, like I mattered to somebody. I spent most of my life feeling like I didn't belong anywhere. But God has the power to turn that around and use that for his good. This, this hair is not a fashion statement. This is, this is natural, I'm fourth generation. My dad, my grandmother, my great-grandfather. Now my, I have a young lady, a daughter, that has it also. And that, that kind of works into the outcast mentality. I've always been different. I've always felt different. But there's also been a blessing in all of that. Because of the way I am, I've, I have a heart for the, for the, I hate to say this, but for the, the nerd, right? For the kid that everybody picked on. I was the kid that would go over and say, quit picking on him. You know, leave him alone, the outcast. And that, that this, this, this skin condition I have, it gave me a heart for, for people like that. And I'm thankful for that every day. But, but like I said, God will make a remnant of these, of these people. He will make them a mighty nation. Verse nine, now why do you cry aloud? Is there no king in your midst? Have, has your counselor perished? For pangs have seized you like a woman in labor. Be in pain and labor to bring forth a daughter of Zion, the woman in birth pangs. For now you shall go forth from the city. You shall dwell in the field and in Babylon you shall go. There you shall be delivered and the Lord will redeem you from the hand of your enemies. So here he's speaking of the promised deliverance. Jerusalem is called the daughter of Zion. Zion. Typically, cities were usually, you know, referenced as, as female. It was a term of endearment. I love my son, but my relationship with my daughter is special. Daddy's little girl. Mama and, and Rusty's mama's boy. But that's that's kind of how it is, right? It's special. Young ladies are special to us. The city was in trouble, and it would be taken by Babylon. In 586 BC, they should have surrendered when Jeremiah told them. In Jeremiah 34, and we'll read that real quick. Jeremiah 34:1 through 5. If you want to turn there, go ahead. It says the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and all his army, all the kingdoms of earth under the, under his dominion, and all the people fought against Jerusalem and the city, saying. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Go and speak to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and tell him, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will give this city into the hand of king of Babylon, and he shall burn it with fire, and you shall not escape from the hand, but shall surely be taken and delivered into his hand. Your eyes shall see the eyes of the king of Babylon. He shall speak with you face to face and shall go to Babylon. Yet hear the word of the Lord, O Zedekiah, king of Judah, Thus says the Lord concerning, you shall die by the sword. You shall die in peace as the ceremonies of your fathers, the former kings who were before you. So they shall burn incense for you and lament for you saying, Alas, Lord, for I have pronounced the word, says the Lord. Because of their resistance, the city and the temple will be destroyed. Zedekiah was actually like a puppet put in place by Nebuchadnezzar they arrested his nephew and threw him in jail and he basically made him king. He tried to get Egypt to turn against Babylon and whenever Nebuchadnezzar caught wind of it, he sieged the city. But that resistance would would lead to the city being destroyed and the temple. But Jeremiah also were promised a return from exile after 70 years. And that can be found in Jeremiah 29, verses 10 through 14. For thus says the Lord, after 70 years are completed at Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. And there's that H word, hope. The good H word. Verse 12, then you will call upon me, and, I, and go pray to me and I will listen to you. He will listen to them. Listen and hearing is a big part of this if you can't tell. God will begin to listen to them. And you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. And I know something about that because for years, I gave my life to Christ in 2009, but for years I struggled because I truly wasn't searching him with all my heart. And when my heart became open, I stumbled into a Panera Bread and met him, And my life changed forever after that day. I remember running home to my wife and saying, I've never heard the Bible taught like this. It's amazing. And my heart was so open to the Lord at that point because I began to pursue him with all my heart. And What an awesome verse that is. That's what, he's, that's what, that's what we got to be like. Give them everything, right? We've got to give it all. Verse 14, I will be found by you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back from your captivity. And our captivity is sin. I was weighed down. We're all weighed down by our sin. And it's destroying our society. You can see it all around you. People are suffering. That's our prison. We don't have a country coming down on us. It's just sin. It's crushing us. I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord. And I will bring you to a place from which I cause you to be carried away captive. And after that, the city and the temple will be rebuilt. And we talked about that last week. Nehemiah and Ezra is the books where that happens. Verse 11, back in Micah. Now also many nations have gathered against you who say, let her be defiled. And let our eye look upon Zion. But they do not know the thoughts of the Lord, nor do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them like sheaves on the threshing floor. Arise and thresh, O daughters of Zion, for I will make your horn iron, and I will make your hooves bronze, and you shall beat the pieces, pieces, pieces many peoples. I will consecrate their grain to the Lord and the substance of the Lord of the whole earth. So, Like I told you last week, when you don't know what something means, look it up. And I never knew what threshing was. So I got curious and I started to look into it. So threshing is in the the threshing floor. They put the grain on there and they separate the grain from the bad stuff, right? And then they throw all the bad stuff away. So that's what threshing is. So you can imagine God's obviously going to separate the good from the bad, right? But one thing that's interesting here in verse 12, when it says, but they do not know the thoughts of the Lord. None of us really do. Nor do they understand his counsel, for he will gather them like sheaves on the threshing floor. So this is talking about the promised conquest. And it's a look into the the future, the far future. The Jewish people were, were, were being attacked by many nations. And they were gloating in their victory, almost like David and Goliath, right? Remember how Goliath was? Beating his chest, scaring everybody in the Israeli army. But the nations, were, they were so sure of their victory because they had no knowledge of what was going to happen. It was really because of their lack of knowledge, period. Although Israel appeared to look weak, they have something far more powerful Than all these other armies and that's Jehovah. Let's turn to Zechariah 12 and we're going to read about what's going to happen to these armies after they attack Israel. It'll pick up in 12 verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord against Israel. Thus says the Lord who stretches out the heavens, lays the foundation of the earth, and forms the spirit of man within him. Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all the surrounding peoples. when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem, and it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all the peoples. and all who heave it away will surely be cut to pieces. Though all nations of the earth are gathered against it in that day says the Lord, I will strike every horse with confusion. And it's rider with madness. I will open my eyes on the house of Judah. I will strike every horse of the people with blindness. And the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem are my strength and the Lord of hosts, their God. And that day I will make governors of Judah like a fire pan in the woodpile, And like a fiery torch in the sheaves, they shall devour all the surrounding peoples on the right hand and on the left. But Jerusalem shall be inhibited again in her, in her own place, Jerusalem. The Lord will save the tents of Judah first so that the glory of the house of David and the glory of the inhabitants of Jerusalem shall become greater than that of Judah. And that day the Lord will defend the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The one who is feeble among them and is that day shall be like David. So you're going to go from a weakling to like his, like King David, Isn't that cool? Mighty warrior. And the house of David shall be like God, like an angel of the Lord before them. It shall be that day that I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem. And this is known as the battle. Some people believe this is the battle of Armageddon. And this is why so many politicians don't want to go against Israel. Because it tells us right here it's not a very good idea. but they don't listen. Verse, uh, verse five, I'm sorry, we're gonna move into chapter five, Micah five. So um, the first little section here, uh, this section moves on to the promised king. But the first section kind of, this is kind of addressing Zedekiah, who we talked about before. And it reads like this, now gather yourself in troops, O daughter of troops. He has laid siege against us. They will strike the judge of Israel with a rod on his cheek. And a lot of the commentaries that I studied believe that they're talking about Zedekiah here. Um, this is looking ahead to the Babylonian siege, of course, and, and this is speaking on Zedekiah's hopelessness. Because like I said, he, he was basically put there by Nebuchadnezzar and he double-crossed him. So he tried to sneak out in the night and when they captured him, they killed both of his sons in front of him and they burned his eyes out with a, with a, with a hot metal poker. So the last thing he saw was his, his, children's die, his children die. You can find that story in 2 Kings 25. But enough of that stuff, let's move on to hope. In my Bible, the, the title of this section is The Coming Messiah. Verse 2, but you, Bethlehem, Ephra, Atha though you are little among thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me, the one to the ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from the old, from everlasting. So interestingly enough, this past week has been a little hectic. Um, I taught Micah 1 and 2 on Wednesday, and then I taught at me and my wife's home fellowship on Friday, and then I taught men's fellowship on Saturday. Um, but interestingly enough, I just finished the book of Hosea two weeks prior, so I kind of was in between books. So I, you know, I remember talking with Xander, you know, getting kinda, you know, a little bit of counsel out of him, maybe, him and Tim, and saying, you know, maybe I'll just teach 93 both nights, uh, or Friday and Saturday. It'll make things a little easier on me. i only have to study for two things. But uh, I just want to show you, you know, that all worked out great. And I, you know, I thank God for it every day. Like, that worked out really nice. But let's turn to Psalm 93, because as you read that, it says, the one to be roller in Israel whose goings forth are from the old, from everlasting. Let's turn to Psalm 93 real quick and take a look at that. So it's only five verses, Psalm 93. We'll just read the whole thing. Like I said, it's only five verses. So, uh, verse one of Psalm 93 reads The Lord reigns, he is clothed in majesty with majesty. So, he's clothed in majesty. The Lord is clothed, and he has girded himself with strength. Surely the world is established so that it cannot be moved. So, you know, so it's saying God's girded in strength, but God's really always strong. He doesn't really have to gird himself in strength. He is strong, but sometimes God will hide his strength, kind of like what we were just talking about. And then whenever it's time for his people to rise, they will rise for his glory. So he's hiding his strength, and then he's going to bring it up at the right time. Verse 2 says, Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. And when I read this... I've read Micah a lot lately, and I just noticed this for the first time. It's the same thing. And that just blows my mind. I don't know, it, maybe it doesn't blow your mind, but it blows my mind. But the interesting thing is, I taught Micah in the Bible college, I taught Micah in, my, in the home fellowship, and I never noticed this verse before. And now you're probably going to say, well, what does that mean? Uh, from the, from of the old means that it's it's a it's a long established thing. So yet yeah, we all know that the Chinese dynasty was thousands of years, and the English kings went on for you know years. The French kings they had these long lasting dynasties, but God's dynasty is of the old. It's it's been around long before all of them, before time began. It's from everlasting, right? In verse 3 of the psalm says, The floods have lifted up, O Lord. The floods have lifted up their voice. The floods lift up their waves. And that's, that's like other nations rising up against the people of God. But then you go on to verse 4, and it says, The Lord is high. The Lord on high is mightier than the noise of the many waters, than the mighty waves of the sea. And I like to use the comparison that those waves are the people in your life telling, laughing at you, pointing at you, telling you, ah, why do you believe in that space daddy? But God's mightier than all that. He will defeat the, the noise of all these other people in your head trying to convince you to not follow the Lord. He's stronger than all of that. Verse 5 of Psalm 93 says, your testimonies are very true. Holiness adorns your house, O Lord, forever. So I had no plans on sharing that until I saw that it kind of lined up. It's just crazy to me. But anyways, verses 2 through 5 turn to the Messiah. As you notice in your Bible, the word the one is capitalized. So that can only mean one thing, right? But it's interesting that God chose Bethlehem. He even refers to about about how small it is. And what does Bethlehem mean? It means house of bread. Bethlehem has an interesting history. Rachel died near Bethlehem after birthing Benjamin. Matthew talks of the slaying of the children there after the birth of Jesus. Rachel named her son Ben-Oni, which means son of sorrows, and Jacob changed his name to son of the right hand. And isn't that really just two pictures of Jesus? Jesus was the son of sorrows. He went to the cross for us to take away our sin but he's also sitting at the right hand of the Lord. Ruth and Naomi came to Bethlehem and there Boaz fell in love with Ruth and married her. Ruth, of course, being the ancestor of the Messiah, David would also come from Bethlehem. The Jews knew the Messiah would come. They knew he would come from Bethlehem. And it's just interesting that the Messiah came from a small place. Um First three, therefore he shall give them up until the time that she who is in labor has given birth, then the remnant of his breath shall return to the children of Israel. And he shall stand and feed his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of, of the Lord his God. and they shall abide. for now he shall be great to the ends of the earth. Before Jesus can be shepherd, he must be rejected. He must be suffer. He must be crucified and put up on the cross. Israel will be given up, as it says in the Scripture, until the Lord returns. Romans 5, verses 6 through 8 tell us, For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the word I want to focus on there, as always, when I read this, is the word toward. No matter how far you think you are, no matter how much of a gap you think there is towards between you and God, he's always moving towards you. He's always trying to reach out to you and turn you back to him. And this, this verse actually has a pretty special thing in my life because, you know, when I first started going to the men's fellowship 10 years ago, we were in Romans. I still remember it. I remember Tim saying this, and I, that always stuck with me, that God's always moving towards me. He's always moving towards Victoria. He's always moving towards John, Matthew. No matter how far you think you're from him, He's continuing to pursue you. And verse five says, and the one shall be peace. Jesus will come and bring peace to all nations. And he will come in your life and bring peace in your life also. But the interesting thing about that verse is it doesn't say that he will bring peace. said It says that he is peace. So whatever chaos you have in your life, whether it's your work life is a mess and you just can't get along with your coworkers or your boss is on your nerves. Let Jesus come in your heart and be that peace that you need. You can't do it on your own. You can't defeat sin on your own. You need him to come into you and be the peace you need. Lay it at his feet, whatever it is, whatever chaos you have, he can handle it. Unfortunately, they didn't listen to Micah's words. And this is probably the the best quote I read from the entire commentary of Micah Bible prophecy isn't entertainment for the curious, it's encouragement for the serious. And have Warren Wearsby said that. You know, and I find myself doing it too. Oh, we're doing Revelation. Awesome. It's not entertainment, it's for our encouragement. Uh, as we move on, it, 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 he goes even further into the future. The enemies of God will be defeated, and the nation will be purged. I think I think we got to complete verse five. When Assyria comes into the land, and when he treads in our palaces, then he will raise against him seven shepherds and eight princely men. So the enemy is defeated. And he mentions Assyria, even though really Babylon is the country that's going to come down on them. But that's, they were just kind of like the, the common enemy at the time. And the seven shepherds and eight leaders, nobody really knows what that means. Um, the best ex- explanation I got was that it means many. Um, and, and another thing, as they're saying, is, is God will raise up leaders and heroes like he did in Judges, like he did in David's time. So we'll have people like that during this time that'll be that'll that'll just be heroes. They'll be people that'll be righteous and walking with the Lord and leading the armies of God and fighting battles. And one thing I want you to realize about David, he rolled with the outcast. He rolled with people that were rejected and people people that nobody wanted. But they were mighty men of valor. Me and Tim used to jokingly call them the Oakland Raiders. If you're not a football fan, you probably won't find that funny. But they were a ragtag bunch, but David turned them into a mighty army. And that's what God's going to do with us. We talked about that a little bit earlier with the outcasts becoming a mighty nation. Verse 6 says, They shall waste with the sword in the lands of Assyria... In the land of Nimrod at its entrances. Thus he shall deliver us from the Assyrians when he comes into the land and when he treads without our borders. So who is Nimrod? Nimrod is the great grandson of Noah. He's the founder of the Assyrian Empire. He was part of the city of Babel, so he had a lot to do with the building of the tower in Babel. So he was in opposition to God. And you can see there, it says that God is our deliverer. He will deliver us from whatever, you know, in this case, he's going to deliver them from Babylon, but he is our deliverer also. And like I said, our enemy is not an army. It's our our enemy's sin. Our enemy's Satan. We're fighting against things that we can't even see. Verse seven says, Then the remnant of Jacob shall be in the midst of many peoples, like dew from the Lord, like showers on the grass, that tarry for no man, nor wait for the sons of men. And the remnant of Jacob shall be among the Gentiles, in the midst of many peoples, like a lion among the beasts of the forest, like a young lion among flocks of sheep, who if he passes through, both treads down and tears in pieces, and none can deliver. Your hand shall be lifted against your adversaries and all your enemies shall be cut off. So he's talking about the blessing of the remnant. They're a small number of people, but they're empowered by the Lord. He calls them of her freshing dew. And every time I think of dew, I think of being in the grocery store and walking through the produce section and the water turns on to spray the vegetables. Why? To keep them fresh, Right? But dew plays an important role in nature. It, it plays a role in seed germination, germination, I don't know how to pronounce it. High levels of dew in grasslands could provide the moisture needed for different types of seeds to germinate, perhaps even creating conditions that support the transition from grasslands to forests. So the dew produces growth. He talks about the power of a lion. The lion laying amongst the sheep. And we all know the song, the lion and the lamb, right? In verses 10, he talks about a nation purged, 10 through 15. And it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that I will cut off your horses from your midst and destroy your chariots. I will cut off the cities of your land and I will throw down all your strongholds. I will cut off sorcerers from your hand Sorceries from your hand, and you shall have no soothsayers. Your carved images I will also cut off, and your sacred pillars from your midst. You shall no more worship the work of your hands. I will pluck your wooden images from your midst. Thus I will destroy your cities. I will execute vengeance in anger and fury on the nations that I have not heard. He will destroy all the defenses. They trusted all of us more than they trusted the Lord. God has not cast away his people. Romans 11, 1-3 tells us, I say then then, has God cast away his people? Certainly not. For I am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Or do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah how he pleads with God against Israel saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And I am left alone and they seek my life. There is an existing remnant today and it's it's in our church. There are an estimated 350,000 Messianic Jews. And now I'm going to clue you on them. What's the best way to predict how Jesus is going to come, when he's going to come back? And that is to not even try to do it. Don't even try. We should live every day like the Lord's coming back. Imagine if that's how we all lived our lives. Today's the day he's coming back. Well, we got to, what would you do if you knew? I would run and try to tell as many people as I could. That's what we should be doing every day of our lives. We should turn every situation into an opportunity to share something about the Lord. Some people are going to reject you and tell you to get lost. But what does Jesus tell us? Shake your feet off and move to the next person. Shake the dust off your feet and move on. Not everybody's going to accept your, your your teachings. Not everybody's going to accept what you have to say. Because people are caught up in all this other stuff that, that we just read. They're, they're caught up in sorceries they're caught up in soothsayers they're caught up in their carved images in our our society it's more like cars and houses and 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 collectibles and whatever other hobbies having the highest bowling average in your league going bowling four nights a week cuz that's important and i love bowling he will pluck those wooden images right out of your hand they don't matter it's all going to burn Live every day like the Lord's coming back. And if we do that, who knows how much we can change the world? If he can take eleven disciples and change the world, imagine what he could do with a whole with all of us. Our church, Calvary Chapel, Pittsburgh, and all the churches in the Mon Valley. We could go up and down this river and share the gospel. First Thessalonians four, thirteen through eighteen tells us this. For the, the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with, with a shout, with the voice of an archangel and with a trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise. First then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds and meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord, therefore comfort one another with these words. Second Peter 3:10 tells us. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with the great noise and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. It's all going to burn. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? Looking for the hastening and coming out coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being a fire, and the elements will melt with fever and heat. Nevertheless, according to His promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So when those days come, we won't worry about what kind of car we drive. We won't worry about our jobs anymore. We won't worry about paying the bills. We won't worry about inflation. All of those concerns are just gonna melt away. They're all gonna be gone. And there's gonna be a day where we're just gonna probably be sitting around in heaven. I don't know if we'll be sitting around. We'll probably be doing something. And we're just gonna say, man, remember when we worried about all that stuff? We may not even remember, to be honest. Because we aren't gonna feel any pain. We're not gonna feel sad. So as we go through the week, remember that. Every day could be the day the Lord comes back. And what do you want to be doing when the Lord comes back? Would you please pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this time. Thank you for the blessing of Micah's prophecy. And we're so thankful that that a deliverer is coming. We're thankful that he's going to come back for us and he's going to rescue us from this cold, cold world that we live in. Lord, as, as, as we walk through our, the rest of our week, I ask for you to bless us and you, you find opportunities for us to share with people. And if we don't have the words to say, let our lives speak for us. Use us and have the Holy Spirit guide us through all of it, Lord. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.